Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Let's go with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Thursdays mean Josh Ward. And this particular Thursday, we have a scrimmage to talk about as the balls were popping pads on Wednesday. So I'll give you a little insight to that. And coming up on the program, we're going to discuss a couple of different things with Josh. And that is, as far as dark horse balls to watch out for, we should kind of have an idea of who those guys might be. That's on offthehooksports.com right now. Could Tennessee's defense be a strength for the balls this year? I'm interested to see who can make that argument. Josh Heupel is a game planner compared to other coaches in the SEC. And the ACC maybe is on live support, but is going to collapse eventually. Before we get to the scrimmage notes of preseason camp and what I've been able to garner both from what Josh Heupel said and doing a little bit of digging on my own yesterday. I want to go slightly off script for just a second, if I can. Is that okay with you, Caleb Calhoun? How are you, sir? That is totally fine with me, Dave. I'm not scatterbrained at all. I, <laughs> I totally do fine when you stick to a script. Gotcha. <laughs> um the Michael Orr thing, I want to share because that's made national news at this point. And now you have the Tuies that have come out and have said that, uh, hey, we we're taken, we've been blindsided by this revelation that Michael Orr has made that he didn't know he signed a conservatorship like Britney Spears. Okay. So then he's referred to it three times in his book. So Michael Orr's story is contradictory at the the first book, the first book he wrote. He referred to it three times or had written for him. By the way, athletes usually don't like doing books. So it's kind of a sign that he needs the money. So uh, Caleb, he referred to it and maybe he's got the story mixed up. But at the end of the day, I can tell you, I spoke with Michael Orr. He loved, loved, loved Tennessee. Philip Fulmer, per a source yesterday I spoke to, certainly thought that they had him. There was very little doubt. And he was steered to Ole Miss. So at the end of the day, it's a sad story all around. You don't want somebody who you adopted to point the finger at you as somebody who just took your money. So it's a sad story. I get the feeling that he may be hurting for money. But when you start steering kids for fandom or for whatever reason to a particular school, and I would say this to a Tennessee booster as well as any other booster, Caleb, you're opening yourself up for this type of thing down the road. So I, I they may not have been perfect, but they weren't altruistic either. That's exactly where I am. And I've always felt this way. And with the Michael Lowe lawsuit, I feel that there's – I feel there's two sides to the story, and then there's the middle. There's so, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, and I'm not good at. There is people I know personally that I could just tell you that the two were are not are not saints in that city in Memphis, and um, but that that was all stuff I had heard through the grapevine. And I'm with you. 
when you if if at the end of the day, there's no way around the fact that they steered him to Ole Miss. They steered him to Ole Miss. He didn't want to go. And by the way, it worked out because he made it to the NFL. But honestly, that's that's hindsight. Ole Miss was not the best place for his future. It just wasn't. And and this isn't me. I wouldn't say Tennessee may be the best place, but for a four or five star offensive lineman in 2004. Tennessee's a better place than Ole Miss. There's no debating that. And everybody would have known that at that time. So I, I that, to steer him to Ole Miss, that is for your own. When they have a coach who, if you're tied into Ole Miss, you knew was not the brightest coach in the world <laughs> and had Horser on. <laughs> yeah. You, you steered him. There, the only way you would have steered him to Ole Miss was for fandom. No other reason. Not for right. his future. I agree. And, and it's like choosing a law school you would pick. LMU over Harvard, no knock on LSU. Um, but, and, and I'll say this, I spoke to him and I, I've talked about this before, but I spoke to him. He loved Tennessee. And then he never spoke to me again because I was with air quotes, Tennessee, Knoxville media. So the, I, I, there was no getting a hold of him or really even his coach at the time. And I wanted to do something on the twoies too. I think, you know, that I'm a pretty objective journalist. They probably thought I was all ball through and through. Um, but I was telling you, he was, he was steered. I can positively tell you that there's no question in my mind. Four downs is now as we get rolling on the balls were popping pads on a Wednesday. Let's talk about it right now. Four downs brought to you by Zen sports. Four downs, four questions, four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four, four, four downs. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. We'll talk the latest on Coop Cooper Mays still sideline Tennessee's standout center, Jalen Wright. Why he may be my elevator pick, and what in the world does that mean? Josh Heupel doesn't know if Joe Milton's even thrown an interception. What? You got to have an idea. And it's brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. On Zen Sports, what you see is what you get. And with our cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the promo code HOOKED. That's hooked, unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month. After that, refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards to Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. I was on the app yesterday. You can do futures and stuff. It's super cool. So let's go ahead and get to first down, and we will go to – Cooper Mays to provide that for us. Cooper, first, what, what should people do? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. And he means it. Hit the down, Coop. Coop here. First down. First down, the latest on Cooper Mays. He was not a participant in Wednesday's scrimmage. I know that you know that we have a relationship with him at Off the Hook Sports. I'm not going to try to share any injury news and be out of sync with the university out of respect for him and their injury policy. And that's where I stand on that. But I do think that it's pretty obvious that Josh Heupel yesterday opened up the door that this could be an extended absence because he talked about you have to go into the season with this sort of mindset of next man up. So 
here's what we saw yesterday, and that was primarily uh, Ollie Lane in for center, and that opened the door for transfer Andre Keurig at left guard. But I don't think it's the end of the world if Cooper can't play until the Florida game. I've said that repeatedly, uh, and I think that Josh Heupel maybe opened the door for that just a little bit. What are your thoughts? I think there's a little bit of panic that needs to go on. And I, I thought about this last week because I, I think it's pretty clear they're going to hold him out the first two weeks of the season. And they may be able to have him back by Florida. You know more about the injury than I do. And, yeah, we don't want to go fully into details with that. But, Dave, center is not really like wide receiver or defensive line or anything like that. There's kind of a rhythm you have to get in, right, with your quarterback. And Tennessee does have a new quarterback this year that's not Hinton Hooker last year. I know Cooper May snapped for him in the Orange Bowl and against Vanderbilt last year. But he's this is it's it's kind of like the whole NFL thing, you know, do you want the first round by or not? Because if you ha- if you get the first round by, you may lose your rhythm that you the role you've been on. I feel like a center quarterback exchange, that's a big part of that. Like that's prob that there's more a feel for the cadence than anything else with those two. So it's not just plugging alignment into block at that point. And I don't know if you want to throw them out there for the Florida game in the swamp. Okay. So scale of one to 10, let's kind of nail down where we both stand. How concerned do you think Tennessee fans should be? I'm seven. Oh, seven. Okay. I was going to say five. So we're not that far apart. Um, So maybe it's a little semantics. I don't think you want him out until, the week of Florida, maybe he plays a half against Austin P. Maybe that would be ideal. That would be, I think that that's would, what you have to do. Yeah. 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 Play him a half against Austin P because you got to get him and Milton into rhythm a little bit before they, I mean, again, the first time you do this is in the swamp where look, I know John Adams doesn't believe Florida is going to beat Utah. I see where he believes that, but if they do beat Utah, we know the swamp's going to be really, really, really loud. And that's a night game. If I'm not mistaken. And you talked about how Tennessee doesn't like night games because they practice in the morning. So the swamp at night's already brutal. If Florida is undefeated, it's going to be brutal. And it being at night is going to be brutal for Tennessee. No, absolutely. What down is it, Coop? Cooper Mays here. Second down. Who's your elevator pick based off what Josh Heifel said yesterday? I'm going to give you mine based off what I'm hearing. An elevator pick is the guy who is quickly rising, will go from maybe very good to great will go from nobody to somebody. Um, you, you take it. Who makes the biggest ascension the quickest this season? Who's ready to go at a different level than they were last year? I feel like, okay, ready to go at a different – I know where you're going, so I'm trying to mix it up because I would, I, I'm kind of leaning the same way. And But if I were going to go somewhere, I would have gone somebody who's not there last year. But I'm going to lean Danico Slaughter. We've talked a little bit about him, and I saw some touting in the secondary yesterday. And there were stories about the defense making a lot of plays in the middle of the scrimmage and towards the end. And so I'm going to go to Nico Slaughter. I think that's a guy that if any secondary – the signs are there that somebody's standing out in the secondary. And if a secondary player is going to make a leap, Slaughter is going to be the guy. I like it. I'm going to go Jalen Wright, who had a great year last year. I just think he's going to have a better year. I think he's in better shape. I think he's going to get even more carries. I think he's being more of a leader. I got the sense from Josh Heupel talking yesterday that they like the off-the-field stuff, too. And I think that turns out to be more and more carries. 
And I think they're a little frustrated probably that Jabari Small put on the extra 15 pounds of muscle last year and still got banged up. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Jalen Wright gets even more. So I'm going to say that he takes an, another step up from good to very, very good. Now, I can definitely throw Squirrel White out there. Jimmy Hom said uh, Aaron Beasley yesterday. There's a lot of guys that are in the running for that, but I would take him. As a matter of fact, now that we hash it out, maybe there will be a column on that later on offthehooksports.com. I would say there are would. You, are you – are you like dialing back your Dylan Sampson hype because you're believing more in Jalen Wright? <laughs> oh, no, 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 not at all. I'm not dialing it back. I, I just, all these names started coming to my head and I think it's a good idea for a column. So uh, I thought I would assemble them. I'm not dialing back Dylan uh, Sampson at all. What down, Coop? Tennessee center, Cooper Mays here, third down. I just think he's going to be more of a third down type of back. The the big play guy, but the the. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. On third down, you said he's going to be a third down type of back. (laughs) Do what I can. Uh, Josh Heupel isn't sure that Joe Milton has thrown a pick or not. That's what he said yesterday. Do you believe that? No, I don't believe that. Do you believe (laughs) that? (laughs) He has no idea. He watches the offense all the time. He doesn't believe it. No, I don't believe it either. Unless he sees center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. That was a quick third down. We converted in high tempo. Josh Heupel, just tired of talking about Milton's accuracy. I got that sense yesterday. I also got the sense from Milton at SEC Media Days. And I don't blame him. We have a column up about this on offthehooksports.com. Listen, I do believe part of the accuracy issues is – It's year one in the offense. Go back to 2021. Joe Milton and his receivers weren't on the same page. I think some of those crazy errant throws were probably bad reads by either him or the receivers. So, Caleb, I I, I don't blame them for being sick of talking about Joe Milton's accuracy. But get ready because when they have the next scrimmage, there's going to be another round of questions. And then if he has a day where he's not particularly accurate – going to be asked about that again so was Hendon Hooker and that was addressed I really if I had to bet a mortgage payment on it I would say that it will be addressed with with Milton and he will be a much more accurate passer but let's get back to the topic at hand did you sense from listening to Josh Heupel that he's just he's really tired of talking about Milton's accuracy I get that he's tired of talking about it, but, and you're right. Milton, I felt was, I don't, I didn't get the sense Milton was tired of talking about it. I feel like Milton's been on a, on, on a, um, defending it train a little bit more trying to explain to people why it wasn't the issue. People think, I think Josh Heupel, look, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to read into it again. I, I criticized him last week. I'm going to criticize him again. I think Josh Heupel doesn't like talking about it because it just rehashes. How could he have made the decision to start Milton over Hendon Hooker? two years ago after what we all saw on the field and I get the practice versus the end game player. I just don't believe it. And I don't, and I mean, I, no one's asked, see, if I were in Knoxville right now, I would ask him that I would just straight up ask him, did you start Milton because you signed him and you wanted him to be the guy? Because I, I don't believe that they, I don't believe there's any other reason that he started Milton over Hendon Hooker two years ago. And I think that's why he started getting asked about it because it brings back how, inaccurate Milton at least looked on the field two seasons ago and that brings back the whole Heupel decision to start Milton and Josh Heupel does not like I can tell you this right now he doesn't like anything about his decision making being questioned 
he will not say it was his fault that he got fired at Oklahoma in 2014. He will he he believes he did nothing wrong. There. Nah. Well, and I I don't have a problem with that. Um, having that sort of cockiness and what he has to do. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. You better have a lot of self esteem and self confidence stand on that sideline and and make play calls. I think it was more along the lines of a one A one B heading into 2021. And I think that he went with the guy that he liked. I don't think it was quite as thought out as this is my guy. I've got to go with him. But you could be right. Obviously, I think this was Jeff Fisher sticking with Kerry Collins. Y'all like that reference? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Titans fan and I cannot stand Jeff Fisher. Like he's remind you. I remind you that Josh Ward of the Sports Animal will, will join us. Hit that like and subscribe button. Turn the notifications on. And we'll have Jacob Warren of the uh, balls coming up. Of the ball report brought to you by Bassie Lawn and Garden coming up later today. All right. So we're going to get to Dark Horse Balls to watch for Tennessee with Josh Ward. But first, let's talk balls. Number eight in the final SP Plus rankings. Uh, they dropped below Penn State and Clemson from the post-spring rankings. First, before we get to dropping, if you can, just lay out the SP Plus rankings, what they mean, who they're from, for those that might not be familiar with them. So the SP Plus rankings, Bill Connolly does them every year before spring practice, after spring – or I'm sorry, he does like a way too early SP Plus rankings right after the season ends. Then he does a post-spring practice SP Plus rankings. Then he does one right before the preseason. They take a lot of different factors into account, but primarily they take in returning production, recent recruiting, and recent history. Now, a lot of people don't like the recent history thing, but that does somewhat matter. I think particularly if you have a similar coach, that that has obviously got to be a factor. So Tennessee, after spring practice, was all the way up at number six. They've dropped to number eight. Penn State and Clemson jumped ahead of them. Um, so they're still in the top 10, and they've been in the top 10 the whole time, pretty much, since the start, since the end of last season. But, yeah, it's based on return. And for the record, there's a lot of concerns about Tennessee's drop in production, and there's questions about their recruiting. So for them to be in the top 10 amidst those two questions actually means that maybe their returning production is underrated this year. That we're talking about maybe we're or maybe we're overvaluing what they've lost okay so how do you move in in the off season where i mean how do you move from spring to now i mean how's there a significant change when nothing really has happened since the last rankings uh there's a there's that transfer portal window right at the end of spring practice between so there's a transfer portal window from the end of spring practice to the start of summer i believe and i think that's that's where it comes in. So I know Penn State picked up two transfers during that period. They picked up Alonzo Ford and Aldavian Collins, I believe. Uh, Aldavian Collins came from UCLA, was it? I can't remember exactly, but that's 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 how you can that's how you can leapfrog. The the, the bigger leapfrog was actually Clemson because Penn State was just one spot below, and but Clemson was like twelfth. And then they jumped up ahead of Tennessee. I don't know how that happened. I have to be honest. They, my own, as far as I'm aware, the only pickup they had during the offseason was another quarterback. And I, I can't imagine that leapfrogging them in the SP Plus. So, yeah, I really can't speak to what happened with Clemson. 
Maybe we'll get Bill Conley on here before long. Um, as far as transfers, while they can have a huge impact on your program, that second window, man, Caleb, um, what do you really expect those guys to do with a summer and just preseason camp to learn your system? To me, that's almost a window that you're you're planning ahead for the following year. Just don't know. It's it's way different to come in in January as opposed to come in in May. I mean, yeah, we're saying that, but don't forget that Nick Saban brought in Tyler Buckner in uh, May, and he might be starting because Nick Saban is just that desperate at quarterback right now this year. So hmm. it's a, um, I think, I think, I think the second window comes. It's twofold, and it never. I, I feel like the second window never really works out for either side. But a player found out he wasn't going to start somewhere after spring practice because he wasn't that good. And a coach somewhere else found out that he has players that aren't that good in a position and he has a desperate need for help. And that's where you get the match made in, in spring transfers. I don't know if Connolly's rankings take into account. See, I actually I think transfer value should be weighted between January and spring. I think post-spring transfers are I, – I don't even think it's a long-term thing. I think it's a desperation thing for both sides, just praying to God it works out in 99% of the time that, I mean, this is, I think it's the equivalent of Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft, quite honestly. Hmm. Um, so this wouldn't factor in Cooper Mays' injury, right? Or we had that, um, on the would it factor that in? I wouldn't imagine so uh, because that's so fluid. He would have to update the rankings like every day based on spring practice at that point. Yeah. And that, I just, um, speaking of, of transfer news, um, I want to dive into this really quickly and we, we may do it even a little bit more in the co- uh, coming days. The, the kid who signed with, uh, Missouri or I'm sorry, committed to Missouri. Um, yeah, I, I find it very interesting that he did. So Williams Winery, and that was a Tennessee, uh, prospect. I find it very interesting. He committed just a couple of days after Missouri changed their law into the coach can be there for negotiations during the recruitment process. Should Tennessee do that? Should we call Governor Haslam? That's Lee now, right? Lee, whoever it is. I don't do politics, Caleb. I, that's what you're for. <laughs> Well, if you're if you're going to call it Haslam, call the former governor. Don't call his brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, why don't you just go ahead and why don't you go ahead and pull the trigger on that? What's the state of Tennessee waiting for? That's a good question. By the way, can we just talk about for a second Missouri people going at us on Twitter yesterday, guys? We had a got really hammered. rough day with Missouri folks. Got hammered. Got hammered. <laughs> and I don't care. You shouldn't be in the SEC. <laughs> I don't care. I was like, I, I saw it all. Mark Twain died over a hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I tell you, I um just going to go ahead I mean, and say, my friend, I think that's something that Tennessee needs to make happen yesterday. Well, this is, here's the thing. The more you do these state by state, openly define the NCAA with their NIL laws that are in blatant violation of the NCAA's laws the more you invite the federal government to go ahead and step in and create a national standard, which I don't like, because I think the minute you create a national standard there, and I said this two months ago, and I'm going to say it now, the national NIL standard 
is going to be what Nick Saban wants because it's being written by Tommy Tuberville, his representative in Alabama, and Joe Manchin, his childhood best friend. Okay, so it's just basically Nick Saban's bill is what it is. And it's also just nothing more than a way to funnel money out of the hands of athletes and back into the hands of administrators. And Here's my retort to that. I don't think Congress is ever going to get involved in this. And I think that... So you got chaos. Yeah, chaos. (laughs) And I think that Tennessee needs to be ahead of the curve on that chaos and just go ahead and open it up where you can negotiate and sit right there with the prospect and with the potential endorser slash advertiser that wants to be associated with him. 90 seconds, it'll be Josh Ward of the sports animal, the dark horse ball, who might come out of the shadows and be a monster player like, I don't know, Jalen Hyatt, 90 seconds. Candace, I was I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. Candace has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Candace today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. Let's go ahead and get to it. Let's bring Josh Ward in here of the Sports Animal. His column is up. Dark Horse Balls. To take a look at uh, Josh, how are you, sir? Rocking your Braves uh, World Series champion shirt. You are a huge Braves fan, are you not? I am a big Braves fan. By the way, I just had a, a mic disconnect, so if uh, if I have any technical issues, uh, go ahead and tell me so. But uh, yeah, uh, Braves are rolling. They just swept the Yankees, who didn't even put up much of a fight. So I thought I'd. Uh, celebrate a little bit here on the show today if anybody wants to join me because i'm a yankees fan yeah you're, you're you know what I about that dave i forgot that that is the case but now things are kind of awkward on the show i apologize <laughs> are awkward it's like we're all naked or something <laughs> y'all want to hear, hear something hilarious always is that the yankees are the only team in the al east that have a negative run differential on the year right now at negative 14 and they're below 500 i don't like either one of you guys (laughs) let's get uh dark horse balls josh picked five define dark horse balls in in your mind uh it was an idea that i had and and pitched to you and i like to let josh run with it because he always 
turns out great, great stuff. So what defined Dark Horse to you, Josh? I think you can be in a couple of categories. You can be a player that is just not getting much attention because of where you are on the depth chart, or you could be doubted when we talk about the player competition this time of year. And I think a lot of times when that happens, we'll see the majority kind of gravitate toward one player versus the other based on recruiting ranking or off-season hype where the conversation was. So my list uh, with five players had a mix of guys that had kind of been forgotten in the conversation or guys that have not been a part of the talk the last two weeks because of where they are on the depth chart, but that could change over the next three months as they use this month to try to earn an opportunity or, of course, injury could end up uh, occurring. Like Jalen Hyatt last year, he got talked about, but it was more of can he prove that he belongs? And then he ended up being a Bolitnikoff Award winner. So he might be an extreme example. Theo Jackson would be an example of somebody that was kind of forgotten about two years ago, was not talked about much. He was just a body returning in the defensive backfield with an extra year of COVID eligibility. And he ends up being one of the most important players in the team and gets drafted into the NFL. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through Josh's list. And if you want to follow along, you can go to offthehooksports.com. Just make sure you keep this tab open and you can have a lot of hooker in your life. Um, maybe too much, some would say. So if if I agree with Josh, I'm going with Hank Kingsley, which would be this. Hey now. And if not, I'm going to go. That's crazy. Little Tracy Morgan action there. So let's start with Andre Turrentine. Josh, why would he be uh, a dark horse ball? Why would he step up? Because last year, I think a lot of people thought he would just step in and be uh, starting corner for Tennessee. And let's just all get off and roll and win a ton of games with a great defense. But that wasn't the case. So why Andre Turrentine? Yeah, he's in the kind of forgotten in conversation category for me. Turn time, by the way, is, is how I understand it. So if I'm uh, mispronouncing, let me know along the way. But you're probably right. Turn time was a guy that came in to the college ranks as a well thought of prospect. He was a four star player out of Innsworth in Nashville. He chose Ohio State. If you get recruited by Ohio State and signed with the Buckeyes, then you have some kind of talent to work with. For a freshman season at Ohio State, he was not going to factor in and play right away, but he was practicing against a full stable of future NFL wide receivers. He was in the class with Marvin Harrison Jr., who is the runaway Bolitnikoff Award favorite and might be a legitimate Heisman contender this year. But he decides, I want to leave Ohio State's program, transfers to Tennessee. There was excitement a year ago because he was this former four-star guy from the state of Tennessee, but he showed up, didn't factor into the defensive backfield, I think exited the conversation because veterans who did play returned like Jalen McCullough at safety. And then you have this new wave of talented freshmen coming in, and they started to get a lot of attention. And then you show up at day number one in camp, and there's Andre Turrentine, number 17, working with the first team. I don't know if he's going to start in the opener, but I still don't hear much about his name. It's more about, okay, is McCullough really going to play? And then we start talking about some of the younger guys, and there are more probably questions, more conversations going on around the corner position. Turrentine has legitimate SEC talent, He's still a pretty young player. He's a third-year guy, redshirt sophomore, who can help you into the future. I mean, he could be a multi-year starter for Tennessee, and this is his opportunity to go ahead and grab a starting spot and build on that. So a guy that I don't think gets talked about enough that should play a big role for Tennessee's defense, Andre Turrentine. 
now. I agree with that. Caleb, you? I mean, I've talked about how they overinflate the stars of Nashville recruits. They specifically do that with Innsworth High kids. Just going to point that out. Um, have you got you, anybody remember Rico McGraw? Yes, I do. I thought he was going to be very good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Innsworth High produces the most overrated players in recruiting of any place. I'm just, I just want to point that okay, out. Okay. So you might, so are so. you selling? I so, am selling because he went to Innsworth High. <laughs> okay, let's get and, to the next. Go ahead. By the way, by the way, we're all, there's also Dark Horse. Uh, Katy Perry, anybody? Sorry. Just wanted to throw the song out there. Kate, I don't know what that means. Uh, she has a song called Dark Horse with Juicy J. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Turrentine, uh, we're a little bit split on. I like that pick. Caleb Webb. We haven't talked about Caleb Webb much. We've talked about just about mm -hmm. everybody else that plays wide receiver for the balls. So this would be in the category of, okay, he's down the depth chart. Injury would probably have to occur for him to have a real chance to play a big role for this team, but that could happen. Brew McCoy's dealt with injuries during his time at Tennessee. Squirrel White has to prove that he can stay healthy. Uh, Dante Thornton's a newcomer. He is still a bit of an unknown while he's exciting, but they have the big four. That's who we talk about. Caleb Webb has impressed coaches. He's gotten more work than you might expect because the big four rested in the first scrimmage. Webb, I think, had some more opportunities in the second scrimmage on Wednesday. And in the, in the spring game, we saw him make a couple of big plays. I think he is a future player for Tennessee. So if he doesn't end up emerging this year, then I think he becomes a breakout candidate a year from now as uh, as a rising third-year player. Chaz Nimrod is also somebody that I considered. I noted that in the column, but I went with Webb here as the dark horse candidate. 6'3", 200-pound wide receiver who's put in legitimate work. Josh Heupel praised the jug work that he's put in in the facilities, has worked as hard as anybody. So if somebody goes down, and it could happen, Cedric Tillman last year allowed Ramel Keaton to emerge. He was kind of a dark horse guy. If you go back to August to, end, to what he ended up doing for Tennessee – Caleb Webb is a potential player like that for this year's Tennessee team. That's crazy. Here's the reason Tracy and I think that is because I think if one of the receivers went down, as you pointed out, they would chuck the idea of going four wide and they would probably just rely more on their tight end as they've done in the past, who we're going to get to. Um, I think it would have to be two receivers uh, that would have to go down for him to have a major impact. But uh, I like to pick Caleb thoughts. I'm half and half because, Josh, I'm kind of with you with Caleb Webb, but I heard so much hype about Nathan Leacock as an early enrollee last year. Do you think there's a possibility that Nathan Leacock could take a spot from any of the second-year guys? I've heard good stuff about him. Yeah, I have too in terms of his ability. I've heard more talk about Webb and Nimrod. It, it honestly was tough to choose which one would have the chance, Webb or Nimrod. I've, I've seen more of Webb because of the spring game, and I've continued to hear really good things about him. So it, it honestly could be either one of those guys. I would be surprised if something happened, especially in the first month to six weeks of the season, and they needed somebody else besides the big four to help at wide receiver. I'd be surprised if it's a true freshman over Webb or Nimrod. Um, be real honest, which last name would you rather have? And I'll start with uh, you, Caleb. Hooker or Nimrod? Caleb? Um, <laughs> hooker. I'm going to go hooker just because I'm a history buff. So I actually, 
I, I, I actually admire your ancestor, Dave, Joseph Hooker. Josh, yeah. Well, um, Hooker Dow is more trending, right? Uh, I'm sure because yeah. of you, uh, but also, <laughs> but also because of a, a guy that played recently for the University of Tennessee. So that's probably my answer. But uh, Nimrod, I do think, is an underrated album from Green Day. So I would give it more consideration than I think a lot would. Oh my gosh! Don't get Caleb started talking about Green Day. That's his jam, I think. Uh, Ethan Davis. I, I love Green Day, but I like it when they went pop. But you know, Ethan but I guess Nimrod was pop Green Day. So. They, they started pop. Ethan Davis. I'll go ahead and tell you. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> He's going to have a big impact this fall. Yeah, there are a couple of guys on this list where it might sound a little bit like I'm cheating because of his talent, but he's a freshman. He's a position where it's not easy to play. Uh, but Jacob Warren is obviously the number one guy at that position. He's a really important player for this team. McAllen Castles came in as a transfer. It's obvious to talk about him as somebody that – can help Tennessee he's going to have that opportunity for sure but then Ethan Davis who made a big catch in the spring game again showing off his talent he was highly touted as a top 10 roughly tight end in the country and I think just looks the part and again opportunity will be there they have three tight ends so at some point I think Ethan Davis will have a chance to help Tennessee and I think he will do that and I think he'll make at least a couple of plays where fans are going to Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, they're going to talk about Ethan Davis as a guy. They're really excited about what he's going to do in the offense over the next two to three years. Caleb, you on board with Ethan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm with both you guys. No, and the fact that he's a freshman and he's uh, got a transfer guy, McCallan Castles, ahead of him, I think he makes him a dark horse. If you'd asked me two weeks ago, I didn't think he was going to have a major impact. So I think that is a fantastic one. This one's very interesting. Cam Selden. Is he the spring back that you just throw out there to get a ton of reps in spring practice, or is he a real mix of power and speed that uh, Tennessee doesn't have uh, elsewhere? Uh, why did you pick Cam Selden? This is the other one where I wondered, am I kind of cheating because he's so physically gifted as an athlete? But again, the depth chart, I think he entered fall camp probably being fourth in line in conversation behind the vets, Jalen Wright and Jabari Small. And then uh, Dylan Sampson, who had a big spring. And all of those guys are fully capable of playing a big role in this offense. I think Wright's your RB1 going in. But I just continue to hear really good things about Selden and his ability. And there's always the pass protection question with freshman running backs. But there's no question about Selden's athletic ability, his versatility in terms of his ability to make plays as a runner and a receiver. He has legit size, a bigger guy at that position as compared to his teammates and more room to grow. So uh, I I know people are excited about what he is in the future for Tennessee. The future will have a chance to come more quickly for Cameron Selden. So I think he's a, a pretty easy dark horse pick if he's eligible because of his upside for the team this season. Yep, that's fair. Do you agree with that one, Caleb? Hey I'll now. give that a hey now. Wrong. <laughs> totally don't believe in Cam Selden. Think he was totally a spring guy for reps and i think he'll be transferring away in a year i also don't know i'll add this too i don't know how many opportunities he will have because you can just take the ball and go to the 25 but uh he will have a chance to break one probably as a kickoff returner this year so there can be an immediate special teams impact before he gets his first opportunity as a running back great point and we know there's going to be an injury at running back at some point right so uh, yeah you have to count on it 
yeah, he's not that far down the list because Dylan Sampson, as much as I like him, I think is more your third down backish type of guy. So Jeremiah Crawford, offensive lineman, he should start at right tackle. Why is he a dark horse candidate, Josh? Because I have yet to really have somebody say to me, I'm excited about Crawford earning the job at right tackle. It's much more about people saying, wait, so is Gerald Mincy not going to beat out Crawford? Which I thought would be the case during the summer months when we were talking about guys who could emerge. I wrote the column about the offensive line several weeks ago here in the last month, I believe, about why it can it can be okay even having to replace Darnell Wright and uh, Jerome Carvin. And part of the reason was because of the excitement about Mincy. Uh, we've mentioned this a couple of times now, but Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, said, yeah, we're talking mid-round pick for Gerald Mincy. Okay, but Crawford was there on the first day, and we continue to hear about Crawford at right tackle, and we've seen him play in the SEC. He played against Alabama in one of the biggest wins Tennessee's had in a long time, so he's already done it out there. I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to be Darnell Wright from a year ago, but I wouldn't say that about Mincy. But uh, a lot of what I've heard is surely Mincy is going to beat out Crawford, and maybe he ultimately does, but at this point, I think I'm more comfortable just taking the bet on Crawford because a lot of people are putting that out. I'm getting good odds on a guy that the coaches continue to show trust in. Man, that's a great it's a great point all around. I would I was ready to drop the Tracy Morgan, but I'll give it a Hey now. So if he's pushing as an all SEC type of tackle, you know, top let's say eight or so by the time you have a second and third team then that's pretty good, and I think that's achievable. So based off what you said, I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah, I wanted to pick a, an offensive lineman. I, Campbell coming in as a transfer on the left side, I think, is too exciting uh, for fans already, so I don't think he's dark horse eligible. I don't have enough confidence in someone at left guard. I considered Ollie Lane, I guess, a little bit just because of his importance. He can help at center. He can help at left guard. So by the end of the year, as a local guy, uh, a guy that's been around a long time, could be celebrated. Spragans doesn't count. Cooper's not a dark horse. So uh, Crawford, I'll, I'll take him, the guy that a lot of people don't want to. Caleb? I'm, I'm with Josh on this, and I've heard a lot of good things about Crawford, and that was the one player Hypel signed, funny enough, in the 2021 recruiting class. He went and got him out of junior college, and I thought it was just a throwaway signee, but he's been a reliable fixture in the program. I'm a big fan, and because he went at me on Twitter and I take things personally, I'm not a big fan of Gerald Mincy, so... <laughs> So the spite pick. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm I'm obviously kidding. I can still believe in somebody on that. But I will say, this was after the Alabama win. I had just tweeted in the game that Gerald Mincy makes some pre-snap mistakes. And he tweeted at me the day after the Alabama game, I've I've only made one mistake all year. And I'm like, you just beat Alabama. Why are you worrying about what a blogger says, bro? And that, and that voice, by the way, you have to use in italics to get that voice to transfer over in Twitter. So that's what you do to get that. <laughs> Jacob's All right, so uh, let's get to uh, next topic, and that is Tennessee's defense. Could they actually be a, a strength for the Vols? And um, I'm curious as to, to how or why, uh, when we met in our 3.45 a.m., production meeting why Caleb you brought up that Tennessee's defense could be a strength for the Vols this year we'll make it 
uh, today's tough question brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Simple. Best prices, best service in the Knoxville area in East Tennessee. Andy Mason will take care of you in your next real estate move as he will me. Caleb, do you think Tennessee's defense could be a strength for the balls this year before we get Josh's take? And why do you think that's even a topic for discussion, I would ask? Yes. I don't the, – the question is, can Tyler Barron and Roman Harrison offset Byron Young, and is the secondary better? But I think the interior of the defensive line is going to be better. I think defensive tackle is going to be a major strength for Tennessee this year. If what you tell me about Elijah Simmons is true – then Tennessee has a potential superstar and a clear-cut, obvious, reliable player in Amari Thomas, not to mention they're deep. That's where everything starts. I think they're – Josh, I think we talked about this last week, but I think they're going to be better at linebacker. I mean, I'm with all of you guys. Keenan Peely, Aaron Carter, and Aaron Beasley, I think, is a better trio than Jeremy Banks, Aaron Beasley last year, and Jawan Mitchell. And I don't see how you could – and as Jimmy pointed out yesterday on our show, there's talent in the secondary. Now, it hasn't come together yet, but Warren Burrell is healthier. Um, I think one of the freshmen is going to be able to make an impact at cornerback pretty quickly. And I brought this up. The defense was somewhat underrated last year. They were in the top 15 in points allowed per play. So it's not like this is a bad defense. This, had, this was a defense that had one weakness, which was the secondary, that should be much better this year. Josh? Yeah, the defense was underrated last year, I think, by a lot of people. Uh, I don't care about total defense, really, in terms of yards given up. Uh, It's obviously about points, how much you give up, but uh, there are factors into that as well. Third down defense, pressure, uh, red zone defense, and I think Tennessee's defensive line can be a strength there again. It is still a question until they have a chance to answer it. How do they replace Byron Young? You mentioned the names that have to step up. So let's see them do that. Uh, Here is a big opportunity for Tyler Barron. When Rodney Garner does publicly give credit to Barron for the offseason work that he's done and the progress that he's made, I think that brings real credibility. Uh, When he talked about an upgrade with Omar Norman Lott coming in to help that interior defensive line, I buy into that. So I think those guys, other names you mentioned, Amari Thomas, he's kind of a – uh, all SEC preseason snub pick if you want one for Tennessee's defense. And I, I don't know who you're taking off, so I, I'm not saying he absolutely should have been on there, but I think Amari has a good chance to be playing in the NFL a year from now. He's a, a really athletic player, could have been a good offensive lineman if he moved over to that side, and he's played a lot, and he's helped create pressure. I think can do more of that this year. And I feel better about the linebackers today than I did seven days ago when we talked about them being the most improved group on Tennessee's roster, definitely on the defense. Let's still see with the secondary. Again, questions have to be answered. I said Turin Tynes, a dark horse player to help the team, has to prove it, right? Those guys at corner have to prove that they're going to play at a high level consistently. But if they get that pressure up front, and I think their run defense will be really solid, then they can be as good as last year and have more leadership, which I think can keep them at a more consistent level over the course of the season. They had really good games last year. Kentucky, LSU, Pittsburgh, the defense stepped up. We came out of that game saying, man, the defense kind of saved them in the second half when the offense made mistakes. But they also had the South Carolina game and Florida and Alabama where they weren't uh, a high-level defense. If they can be better, 
more consistently than Tennessee's football team, even if the offense takes a step back, can be as good as last year. And then we'll see what the record does from there, but it'll give them a chance to be in the same ballpark as a year ago. And we have to factor this in, too. <clears throat> we entered a last season saying that which player on Tennessee's defense would be the biggest playmaker? Blank, guys, who would you say? I would have said Jeremy Banks. Josh? Uh, I said Byron Young and then Jeremy Banks. Okay, so we thought Banks was going to be one of the top two players yeah. at the very least, and he wasn't. So if they get a productive – he was okay, but he wasn't – he didn't. He didn't create havoc like we thought he would. If Josh, if they get a guy that's at the very least consistent through the South Carolina game, that's an improvement, right? Yeah, well, I'm really high on Beasley uh, with the progress he made last year and his chance to be as good or better than he was last year. I say as good because, man, he was really good in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. So if they get that level Aaron Beasley, Keenan Peely is going to help. And I'm just – if shares are available, I'm, I'm just I'm going to continue to buy on Arion Carter. I just I think he's going to be the real deal. So I just I like that group a lot, and uh, the accountability thing is real. I mean, Juwan Mitchell was suspended for the first couple of games, and uh, Jeremy Banks was when he was out there. He he was a go all the way every play kind of guy, and I and I have a ton of respect for that. But he just he wasn't totally accountable all the time. And you mentioned the South Carolina game. You can't be less accountable than not being available. So I have uh, I have no doubt there. You never know about injuries if they occur, but they're better off if they have to deal with injuries this season than they were in the last two years. I mean, two years ago, the room that they had, they didn't have trust in everybody, but they had to play some guys who went out there and gave everything they had, but the guys they have now have more to give. Great stuff, Josh. How do we uh, follow your work on the Twitter and a noon to three on the sports animal and um, just continue to do great stuff? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Josh underscore Ward on Twitter. Give me a follow. Looking for more e-cred, which always uh, helps a lot. And um, saw somebody in the chat say they've been listening to the show while they've been traveling, I think, across the country. So appreciate that. We're live 12 to three every day on the sports animal. Yeah, no doubt. Good stuff, Josh. We greatly appreciate it. And um, you just wait. You just wait with those Yankees, man. They're coming back. Tell, uh, okay, tell Jacob Warren uh, to uh, talk up Ethan Davis behind the scenes. Get him ready so he can make me look smarter with my dark, dark horse picks, please. Oh, we've already written that column. He's talked him up on the record. He, he really, really likes him. Um, great stuff, Josh. We appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Thanks. Go Braves. I just realized, here. Dave, you hate the South. You I don't love hate it. I love the wait, South. Wait, wait, let me see what I'm a fan of. I'm an SEC fan. You are descended from a Union general. Okay. You love those damn Yankees. I do. And you admitted to me that your house is like a log cabin, and that's in honor of Abraham Lincoln. It's not in honor of Abraham you Lincoln. You hate the South, Dave. You hate I the South. um tennessee ultimately are they just in a better position without jeremy banks than they were this time last year do you think their coaches feel that way do you think they are like he was always a pruitt guy which somebody told me and he was i was told he was a pruitt guy do you think that automatically they're like just from a chemistry standpoint our guys are 
better, that their coaches, Tennessee's coaches would say, our guys are better because you don't have Jeremy Banks. Which sounds bizarre because he was going to be one of their top playmakers last year. Well, there were issues going into last year. You have to remember this. They had to replace, they had a much bigger deal of a player they had to replace. And that made bigger questions about the defense, which was replacing Elante Taylor at cornerback. Which, Dave, you probably know more than I do, but I know they have to replace Byron Young this year, but if you're asking me in any given year, would I rather replace an all-SEC edge rusher or an all-SEC cornerback? I'd rather replace the all-SEC edge rusher. The cornerback is much harder to replace on defense than the edge rusher. And that's with all due respect to Byron Young. I I wanted to ask you, it's funny you bring that up with Banks. Are we over, are we underrating Tennessee's defensive performance against Alabama last year? Because everybody brings up that they gave up 49 points, but really they gave up 42. One was a Hendon Hooker fumble in the end zone that just a, a freak play. And Bryce Young, the way he played in that game, nobody could have stopped them. And there were a lot of possessions in that game because of how quickly Tennessee scored. So naturally they were going to give up a lot of points. And again, it was a Heisman winner playing, I thought, his best game. Um, No, because I don't think that Alabama's other skill position players were very good. So I will say no. Um, getting back to the Banks thing, but I see your point. Travis says, I'm glad Banks is gone. Robert says, I would, a four-star who really wants to be involved is better than a five-star grandstander. I agree with both of you guys. I think Tennessee right now is better off without Jeremy Banks than they were 52 weeks ago. I don't think there's any question. Why are you smiling, Caleb? It's like you're... I'm just, reading, got- the, I'm just reading the comments of the Ulysses S. Brand podcast. Uh, what you're, what you're, what we're saying is right now, uh, 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 you'd rather a four star with the intelligence of a Confederate general rather than a five star with the intelligence of the early union generals. Cause McClellan, I'm the most non-Northern person in the world. <laughs> I had to go to a business meeting one time in Ohio and they took all the songs from the South. They ripped off all the songs. So at night they took us to this karaoke place, which is horrible. And they took all the songs like, Sweet Home Alabama would be Sweet Home Ohio. And they took all of our songs from the South, and I guess I can say this, bastardized them. And it just was so, I was sitting there so angry, trying not to say anything. I'm the most non-Northern person in the world. I love the South. I'm just saying, you love those damn Yankees. I, I don't. I do love the Yankees. I do love the Yankees, but that was upbringing, and uh, admittedly, yeah, it was upbringing. Your your Southern hating upbringing. That's what, that's what it was. That's what it's exactly. What it was. All right, uh, coming up. I mean, is East Tennessee coach? was in the Union, like I said off, off the air. For all you people in East Tennessee who love the Confederacy, East Tennessee was as hardcore Union as it gets. Go back and look at history. <laughs> well, uh, still though, we have. Um, some some new merchandise to roll out there so whether or not i guess you were union or what you are our tri-star merchandise will be coming out very soon and it is tennessee related so you can support tennessee or you can do what you need to and it comes in orange as well um so we're excited to announce that partnership here very soon coming up is there a coach on tennessee's schedule that is a better game planner then Josh Heupel. This again came up at our 3.45 a.m. production meeting. And I'm curious as to sometimes I say, Caleb, stop. I don't know where you came up with this, 
but I want to discuss it because I don't want to do the show in the parking lot, as John Pennington of the Sports Source always liked to say. So I was like, it was like 3.52, I think, at our 3.45 a.m. production meeting. I was like, Caleb, stop. I was like, I don't want you, because this sounds crazy, what you're saying, so I just want you to make your point that Josh Heupel might be the best game planner that will be on the field in any of Tennessee's games this upcoming season. He'll make the case. That might be a, what the H? Two minutes. Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Josh Heupel, the best game planner? What, what, what? Is that happening? Is that, are we actually talking about Tennessee as a head coach that's the best at something? Caleb Calhoun is presenting and did so at our 3.45 a.m. production meeting. So when we roll out our TriStar merch, which we're super excited about, just got a text from him, by the way, so thanks for the shout out. But when we when we roll out our TriStar merch, should we go ahead and have meet me at the 3.45 a.m. production meeting? At what point does that become a thing? I think I we got to push that. Have have any of you guys ever met a hooker at three forty five in the morning? <laughs> uh, well, if you did, you probably were staying up. You probably didn't set your alarm for it. But you need to set your alarm for this hooker and Caleb Calhoun. 
each and every weekday at 10 a.m. as we broadcast live on the YouTube, if you're listening on one of our many audio platforms. So we would encourage you to listen live so we can interact with you. If you're seeing one of the replays, again, 10 a.m., we'd love to have you be a part of the show. But uh, also leave comments as we check them each and every day for our replays. And uh, <coughs> pardon me, we'll be able to address what uh, you guys want to talk about. And we love it. We love the interaction. By the way, shout out to uh, Travis, who had a nice compliment talking about how we put in work. Um, I would use this line from the uh, rock star. I think that was the uh, song Cypress Hill redid um, or the rap star. But anyway, um, it's it's a job, but it's a fun job. So we're, we're pleased to do this and blessed to be able to do so. So thank you for being a part of it. We'd greatly appreciate it if you told a friend. But as much as anything, hit that like and subscribe button. Hit the notifications button. We'll have Jacob Warren coming up later today. Is any coach on the ball schedule a better game planner than Josh Heupel? Caleb Calhoun brought this up at our meeting this morning. So, Caleb, why did this creep into your brain, sir? It just I, I just kind of thought about it because we had talked at length over different coaches who are great game planners, and I was looking at Tennessee's schedule, and I kind of went down the list, and I'm like, who would I rather have if I need one game for my life to game plan? And I mean, I really couldn't think of anybody other than Josh Heupel. Now, because I, I get what people are going to say. Nick Saban is a brilliant analytical defensive coach. And I agree with that. And Kirby Smart actually is pretty good too. He's Nick Saban's protege. There's no greater protege of any coach. I mean, is that the greatest coach, head coach, protege of all time? Nick Saban and then Kirby Smart as his protege. I mean, like, that's like. It's pretty good. That's yeah. Pretty good. A lot of times protege just means you open the door for somebody, but he has lived up to the billing. He has. So I understand where people come from, but Dave, you know this. There's only so much game planning you can really do defensively. A lot of what you do, a, a lot of defense is just about being good. Let's be honest. Most of, I mean, people, they came from the Bill Belichick tree or Nick Saban did. Peyton Manning said this years ago when he used to struggle with the Patriots in the playoffs. He said, their defense isn't that complicated. They're just good. So it's hard, you know, there's not much you can do. That's, I think Saban and Smart coach up their defense well in preparation, but there's not much game planning required. So then I thought, okay, game planning comes more offensively for the most part. And yeah, who it's, 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 Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin, and Brian Kelly. That's all I really got, honestly, as far as if you need a game for your life, which SEC coach would you want to prepare for the game that week? I will say this. It's not Nick Saban. Nick Saban might be the guy that you want to head up your program, but I've talked to a coach that was on his staff, and and I've told you this before. He said it wasn't unusual to tear up the offensive game plan. Saban's a defensive coach to tear up the offensive or defensive game plan like a Thursday before and say, let's kind of redo this thing as far as what you're going to throw out there on a Saturday. And at times I think that's probably been a mistake. There's no arguing with his success. Same for Kirby smart. So I think what you're essentially asking is if everybody had equal Jimmy's and Joe's would Josh Heupel win in X's and O's that kind of what you're asking 
It's exactly what I'm asking. Okay, well, that's that's interesting because I give a lot of credit, and we want to give credit to the offense, and we should, but I give a lot of credit to Josh Heupel for saying, Tim Banks, this is your defense, and you run multiple stuff, get vertical, and that's the way that you want to do things, so do it. Whereas he could say, let's, let's play soft and let's do the best we can to um, limit the amount of points that the, the other team's able to score and kind of, kind of a bend but don't break defense, then give the offense a little bit of a rest. But that's not what they're doing. So I think that's Tim Banks's style. So, you know, at, at first when we talked about it, it seemed absurd, but – I think you could make a real argument for that. That's as far as X's and O's, Josh Heupel can stand toe to toe with anybody and is better than Saban or smart. I think you could make that argument as a whole program builder. It would be silly to make that argument until we see more out of Josh Heupel for the next couple of years, but who else is on Tennessee schedule besides smart and Saban that Caleb, you would even throw in the discussion. I mean, He's at Virginia, but he, that, that, there's no talent there. So Tennessee's going to blow him out. And Tony Elliott, I would believe, is a good game planner. He did a lot of good game planning when he was under Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. But that's Virginia, so that's not a factor. Um, I get, Oh, my mind has just slipped me, the UT, UTSA coach. Again, these are all smaller schools that Tennessee's going to blow out. So right. on Tennessee's level, Billy Napier, not that great of a game planner. Again, he's he, you, Billy Napier's trying to be Nick Saban at Florida. That he's trying to do what Nick Saban does, but do it at Florida. Shane Beamer, nobody believes in him as a game planner. And well, you have to give you have to put an asterisk next to Beamer because of what he did against Tennessee and Clemson at the end of the year. You have to say that maybe he's learned something as a young coach. Do I think that, he's better a- than? Do I think he's better than Josh Heupel? No, I'm not arguing that. Yeah, I don't. Jimbo Fisher maybe used to be, not anymore. I mean, is Jimbo Fisher maybe a good game planner, but just has a bad system? I don't know. I I think you and I both agree. The greatest team we ever saw Jimbo Fisher coach was that 2001 SEC championship game as Nick Saban's offensive coordinator when he lost his quarterback and his running back. And he switched up his entire game plan. You talk about ripping up an offensive game plan. They ripped up their offensive game plan in the middle of the game, basically. Yeah, running the draw. Um, you, and John Chavis couldn't figure it out. Yeah, you give him more credit, whereas I say it's more Chavis's fault. Um, but we, we won't. Uh, no, I'm with you on that. Split hairs on that. But um, so who who is who are the best game planners? In the nation, is Josh Heupel rank with those guys that aren't on Tennessee's schedule? I would say Sonny Dykes at TCU deserves some love for that. Um, I think Lincoln Riley at Southern California deserves some love in that. Who else are we talking about? I'm with you on those two. I'm also, I mean, Lane Kiffin. You got to give Lane Kiffin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't forget about Lane. Lane might be number one on my list, actually. Yeah, I, I was wondering that. And then Brian Kelly is a good game planner too, but I actually have laying about Brian Kelly as a game, just just strictly as a game planner, not like coaching and developing talent and things like that. But if I need a, if I need you to, I'm still shocked an NFL team hasn't taken a shot on Lane. I know that Raiders situation was bad the way he left, but I don't know. I actually think he'd make it in the NFL if he had the right team. Did, the right did you see Lane's tweet this morning that he retweeted a a recruiting reporter? saying that 
nowadays NIL is taken into account just like relationships with coaches or any other factor in recruiting. So he retweeted that with the thinking emoji, kind of challenging Ole Miss's booster base to, I think, turn up some more money. And that's where that thing will go south, Caleb, is he was willing to go to Auburn, I believe. And at some point, Caleb, I firmly believe that that's where his relationship at Ole Miss will go south, that they're not supplying enough NIL money. And he'll say either I'm out or he won't win enough games and he'll get fired. But that's going to be the crux of the issue if they don't pony up dollars, which I just don't think they have. I think Lane Kiffin has wanted out for a while. I know he wanted the LSU job in 2016, 2017. I know he called about the LSU, LSU job before it was open. Oh, I, I, that doesn't shock me at all. And <laughs> I, I did not know he did that. Wow. Yeah, I know he wanted the LSU job. I love that they didn't take Lane because of baggage, but they took Ed Ogeron, which is hilarious when you think of baggage. But <laughs> the problem with Lane, I, I think, is one of your boosters' pregnant wives at a yeah, gas exactly. station. <laughs> you look like it worked out. <laughs> what? <Hello. laughs> That's what we need, but, that drop. If I could go back and record that. Has Lane – okay, here's my question to you, though. Has Lane I, – I get burning one bridge and still making it in college football. Has Lane burned too many bridges? Has he rubbed too many people the wrong way up to this point? Because you can get away with it once or twice, but, I mean, he's, he's pissed off a lot of people in college football and in the NFL. I, I, going back to your point about the NFL, I think he has. I think that's a small group of guys that are basically like, hey, we can find another dude that looks good in front of a camera. And I think half the coaches or half the owners in the NFL just want a guy who's going to win, yes, but not create big waves. And he's probably going to create big waves. So I think his time in the NFL is done unless it's a, an OC. Uh, as far as college, I don't know um, how people view him. I can say that if I'm an AD, I got major issues with the way he left uh, Tennessee. The ACC deadline is passed. Florida State Clemson locked in through at least 2024. How do you respond if you're the SEC to that? Are you going out and continuing to push to get Florida State and Clemson? Or are you going to wait and see how the cards fall? The cards are falling pretty quickly, and I have a feeling that in this next offseason, they'll fall quickly as well. Yeah, so... I think you still negotiate. They couldn't figure out a way out of the Granite Rights deal. Either they couldn't legally do it or they couldn't get enough teams on board. We know that. I think the SEC has to still keep moving. Look, the SEC needs to have back channels with I, – I, I'm going to go ahead and say this. they got to keep the Big Ten out of North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. they got to. Great. So they got to be talking to Miami, Florida State, Clemson, UNC. I might even talk to Duke and NC State, and, and they need to talk to Virginia Tech too. Like they got to talk to all of those schools and maybe just make an open offer. If all eight of you kill the grant of rights agreement, do a behind the back offer on paper. If you all kill the grant of rights agreement, you're in the SEC tomorrow. Now I know they're willingly, I know they want North Carolina. They would take Florida state and Clemson. They would love Florida state and Clemson. And I'm sure they'd take Miami and Virginia tech. So you're already at five. Just find three other teams that may not bring as much value right now, but maybe they do bring more value if they're in the SEC. Like we, we, and Dave, I've talked about this before. 
you can't just look at the revenue a school's bringing in right now because if they're in your conference, they might actually bring in more revenue than that directly. So, what would be the ultimate ACC team to lose? What is like immediately you would say fail to the SEC if they lost this ACC team? I'll go with North Carolina. If you lose North Carolina, even though they're not as sexy as Florida State and Clemson, that'd be a big fail. That would be that. I, I, you just can't. You don't want to lose North Carolina. What do you think? I still think it's Florida State. If you lose, if, if and I, I don't think the Big Ten is going to go for Florida State because they don't have the academics. But if the Big Ten decides to throw academics to the side and not get AAU schools, and Florida State goes to the Big Ten. They're in the heart of your one of your peak markets there. Because Florida State, for those who don't, it's not just the Florida market. It's North Florida. So you're talking the Georgia market and the Alabama market. Like Tallahassee's right there in that Florida-Georgia line next to Alabama. So, I mean, that is the heart of the SEC right there. And where the best recruiting in the SEC is. I mean, I don't know, Dave. You tell me. Is the Florida Panhandle or is Miami? Which one has better SEC recruiting? I would say probably the Panhandle. North Florida. Uh, SEC recruiting? The way you qualified yeah. that. Yeah, where SEC teams get like load up the most on talent. I would say the Florida Panhandle and that Gulf area right there, South Alabama, Florida Panhandle. Um, yeah, if you put the SEC caveat, there are three counties around Dade County and in Miami that that that, that is the most talent-rich area in the world <clears throat> when it comes to college football or when it comes to football. So, and I, <clears throat> pardon me, I, I'm talking about an area in, in which you could easily drive in a day. <clears throat> pardon me, because I've done it. But Caleb, um, as far as SEC recruiting, yes, it's tougher to go into Miami. Why? Because everybody goes to Miami. It's like when you, you know, it's going to snow and you got to, you have to get to the grocery store to get your toilet paper and milk. Everybody's doing it at the same time. And that's what Miami's like. So, yeah, if you put that caveat in there, SEC recruiting, then I could argue the Panhandle is as strong for the conference as is South Florida. So imagine Florida State and Tallahassee in the Big Ten at that point. Like, imagine that Big Ten country. You can't let Florida State get to the Big get to the Big Ten. And I, I think after Florida State, I am with you, North Carolina, and I'm with and I would say Miami. You can't let Miami or Florida. I, you don't worry about Georgia Tech. They're not going to the Big Ten. Even though they qualify academically and they bring the Atlanta market, they got to be somewhat decent in football, and they're not. And so Georgia Tech's not going. But, yeah, Florida State and North Carolina. But I, I would go Florida State at the top. You and I go back and forth a little bit on Greg Sankey and what he's done for the SEC. I think he's been an incredible positive. Do you have confidence that he will be able to handle – the next evolution, which is probably going to happen next year, the next evolution of conference realignment. Which basically yes. means, not to interrupt, which basically means making sure you don't lose somebody from the ACC that you want. We don't know in his mind who he wants. I think it's North Carolina. Some people in the message board think not. And you say Florida State. But whoever it is in his mind that he will not lose those teams to the Big Ten. Do you have confidence that he will do that? Yes, because I haven't, I don't want to accuse Greg Sinke of never being forward thinking. I just think there have been, there's been things he did that were not forward thinking. The ESPN deal was not forward thinking. 
the Texas and Oklahoma and then staying put, not realizing that the Big Ten would counter that and try to expand on their own was not forward thinking. I think, but but he also was the one who pushed for the 12-team playoff. I don't like the 12-team playoff, but there's no doubt that it benefits the SEC more than any other conference. So I understand why he was pushing the 12-team playoff ahead of everybody else. So I think Sankey is prepared now to do this. And look, things change really fast. I mean, three years ago, the Big Ten looked like it was called flat-footed when the SEC added Texas and Oklahoma. And now the Big Ten looks like geniuses for getting USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. I mean, they got a whole West Coast that they could start right now. And they may add Stanford. I, I don't know. By the way, as we talk about all this, uh, just a report I want to bring up, George W. Bush and Condoleezza Rice reportedly are in negotiations with Stanford and the ACC to try to get Stanford into the ACC, which is an intriguing fact on its own. But I, Wait, I don't know. Condoleezza Rice is just like kind of like Clerks, um, if you remember that. No, it's not Clerks. What's the movie where they stand out in front of the convenience store the whole time? You know, the, the skinny blonde guy. Help me out on the message board. The skinny blonde guy, Kevin, the producer, director, Kevin, what's his name? Help me, somebody. Is, is, is this this isn't like, I almost said Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but it's obviously not that. Um, it's, no, the, uh, I can't remember his name. He's a great producer. It is Clerks. Kevin, Travis, help me with his name. Uh, it's, it's Kevin something. But anyway, the... The two dudes that just hang outside, that's Condoleezza Rice. It just hangs outside the convenience store where business is happening, hoping that she can have some sort of influence. She was on the college football playoff committee. She just got Jay and Silent Bob. Thank you, Travis. Is she just, does she just not have anything else to do? I mean, you know. I mean, I, I guess, guess if, you had, if you had that platform, would you just mess around with college football whenever you got the chance? I guess. <laughs> okay, so and here's the thing: they got to do this before Stanford gets in, because then there's that's one less grant of rights, uh, one less team to kill the grant of rights deal. So, Dave, here's the question: you got to raid eight ACC teams to make sure they can kill the grant of rights deal. Five bring you value, probably, but if you have to get eight for the SEC to have a 2014 league, what eight are you taking? Oh my gosh, uh, I d- I don't know. I would have to look. Well, at, do you know them off the top of your head? It's Kevin Smith. Struggled there. I think you're easily taking Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina. Those are your top three. And then I think you're taking Virginia Tech. I'm sorry, Virginia. You're taking Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia. Those are your top four. Easily, right? Like, not even, yes. no questions asked. Yes. Okay, so the next four, I think you go ahead and take Miami. Just I yes. just get, get Miami in there. Recruiting. I think you – yeah, recruiting. I think you go ahead and take – Virginia Tech. Agreed. Um, and I think you take Duke just for the heck of it because have a basketball yes. conference. Why not? Yes. And I then, like- so you're at seven. I think the last school, you tell me, Louisville or NC State? Not NC State. So Louisville. you go Louisville what, or Georgia Tech, one of those three. Not Tech. Louisville. So I've, Louisville? I've, yeah, I covered uh, a game, um, a high school all-star game at Louisville in Papa John Stadium. They didn't have any food for us, so I ordered a pizza to the press box from Domino's, by the way. And their facilities are really nice, and it feels like a southern school. 
Um, here's another one to throw out there if you want to go after a school, um, would be West Virginia, which really feels like a Southern, an SEC school. But you can't kill the ACC with West Virginia. Right. Yeah. Oh, great. I just was throwing out schools that feel like SEC schools and have that sort of passionate fan base. So, I mean, theoretically, well, I think Notre Dame has voting power on this, so you could try to go after Notre Dame. <laughs> but I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you can get Notre Dame. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Notre Dame's going to end up in a bad place if they're not careful. And we talked about that yesterday. Live, 10 a.m., join us. Be a part of the show. Go to offthehooksports.com, and you can certainly check us out as well. And we'll have all kinds of things going up today, including Jacob Warren at the Fall Report, brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. So continue to be a part of the show. We appreciate it. Like, subscribe, and hit that notification button so you know when we're on. For Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.